Hello and welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I am your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me as he will be every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at The Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, how are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. Another another week closer to the official start of the NFL season. And yeah. it wasn't a week without some pretty cool news for the Panthers, um, and that news being... Thomas Davis and Greg Olson um, announcing that they are officially signing a, a one-day contract with the Panthers, and they will be retiring on Thursday of this week, March the 11th. Yeah. Both Thomas Davis and Greg Olson will be returning home to Charlotte, you know, to retire as Panthers. So I think that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, no, no, it is. I think it, it's obviously. I mean, last off season, and Aaron Davis, I think, left the year before, didn't he? Um, but but sort mm-hmm. of last off season was. Was, was obviously a bit weird in that there were a lot of big departures and because of COVID, it kind of all felt very, yeah, they didn't get the send off that they probably deserved, certainly. Right. Um, right. Yeah, cause just because you couldn't hold those kind of functions and that kind of stuff. But but I think it's good that they are going to get recognised for what they did. And, and you know, it, it's it's one of those things where every fan base is sort of has a, has a rosier view on, on their kind of reason, on their, on their history than, than the league as a whole tends to. But I think that, that sort of 2015 team was really very, very good. And, you know, uh, the downfall is obviously not great in terms of, you know, it's sort of a lot of injuries happened and that sort of way it all fell apart. But, yeah. but, but that was a, you know, that was a really fantastic team. And those were sort of two of the key players. And I, I, I think just personally, I mean, to what Thomas Davis has done off the field and, and what he's done for the community, sort of both where he's from and in Charlotte, I think, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a major part of his legacy and what he represents as a, as a person. Um, but I think Greg Olson is also, you know, he is one of, he, he is a borderline Hall of Fame level t- tight end. Like, you know, it, it, it's, I think when it comes down to how they're recognized as players, I think Thomas Davis will be seen as a very good Panther uh, and Greg Olson will be seen as one of the great tight ends of this generation. And I think that that's, that, that, that's, a, that's you know, that's something to celebrate. And, and, and it is, you know, I was thinking about both Greg and Thomas in terms of their legacy as Panthers. And like you said, even in the NFL, uh, specifically for Greg at his position. And I think you can easily argue that they are two of the top six or seven Panthers of all time. When you look back, yeah. when you look kind of like at their counting. total impact, yeah, it is challenging, you know, but when I when I kind of found, you know, the sweet spot, I've, you know, we did a lot of these Twitter, you know, greatest, of, greatest Panthers of all time. And, and you, you kind of get the routine four um, at the top. You know, with Steve Smith, Luke Keekley, Cam Newton, Julius Peppers, you know, like they're usually in the top four of most lists. Um, but then you get those guys that you see pop up in French discussions like Thomas Davis and Greg Olson, and they're routinely there. Yeah. And so, oh, definitely. They, yeah, you know, yeah. like they're around like, you know, five, six, maybe seven you know, of all time. And, you know, but, you know, we don't want to debate that too much, but I think they're definitely um, great Panthers. Like you said, great people, both are outstanding citizens. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the work that they did in Charlotte, you know, with, um, with the Levine, you know, Children's Hospital, 
uh, for Greg, you know, Thomas and his community, Walter Payton Man of the Year, you know, just both outstanding yeah. men and football players. And like you said, you know, the 2015 team, you know, was probably one of the greatest NFL teams that didn't win a Super Bowl. Yeah, no, uh, that's it, Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that team at one point won 17 regular season games in a row uh, or something to that effect, you know, and, you know, they went 15 and one. They were, you know, integral to that team. And just like I said, both outstanding Panthers, both outstanding players, men. And um, and like you said, given the craziness of last season, you know, with losing Greg just before the season started, a year before we lost Thomas. And like you said, as, as fans, you know, with the team like Charlotte, you know, all these players like matter more to us than they, you know, than they do to anybody outside of Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but they are well respected around the NFL and, you know, and especially last year with you know losing Greg before the season and everything else that happened. It just didn't leave a great taste in fans miles. And so to see both men uh, wanting to come back and, and, and wanted to be honored, you know, um, retiring as Panthers, it means a lot for the fan base and hopefully it's a sign of better things to come for the Panthers this year. So I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's, it's happening in the last week of the off season because next week will be um, the new league year and, and, yeah. and free agency will start. So I think the timing is appropriate. And um, again, you know, I think it, it, it shows the arrow pointing up for Carolina Panthers and, and the fans and we can, you know, start looking at things a little bit more optimistically, hopefully, you know, hopefully, and, and there's a lot that needs to happen beyond, you know, just retiring two greats. And, yeah. you know, one of those things is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's doing what we're talking about today and, and drafting, you know, somebody, you know, who can, you know, ultimately replace a position that one of these guys play, and that's Thomas Davis. You know, Thomas Davis was a great um, weak side linebacker, you know, during his duration here as a Carolina Panther. And, you know, we're in the market to, to improve every position. We have some, some really good, I would say really good, but we have some good linebackers, you know, who are, you know, who are capable of, of, of manning those positions, but we can always get better. Yeah. And, you know, and today's episode is about the linebacker position. And before we get too deep into the, spe the, to the specific positions, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, inside linebackers or they say uh, Mike versus Will linebackers. Now, what we focus on is just guys who can play the position um, and do the things that we think Phil Snow and Matt Rule would want them to do in this defense, and not just this, not just this defense, but in the modern NFL. And so, Vincent, you know, when we look at who we currently have on the team, um, do we have the type of players who fit the modern NFL? And then, as we look at what's in the draft, um, we're going to talk about who is out there who could possibly fit the modern NFL as well and this team specifically. So, you know, yeah. what do you think about the, the, the linebackers we have on the team right now? Yeah, so I think linebacker is a position that's seen a fair amount of change over the last sort of 10 or 15 years in terms of how it's viewed in the NFL. I think while run defense is still obviously an important part of the game and you can't afford to be bad at it, I, I think the, the impact of a great run defending linebacker versus the impact of a kind of uh, upper tier coverage linebacker has really shifted and I think also the the expectation that you will have this kind of 250 260 pound Mike linebacker in a in a 4-3 has kind of has kind of really moved on like if you look at Tampa Bay where you know we have sort of Levante David and Devin White like obviously very good linebackers but neither of them are kind of the sort of 
that, that sort of like downhill thumper type guy, it has moved towards these athletic coverage-based guys who can hit a gap, can, can, can stay in their gap in the run defense, can tackle well, can be physical enough at the point of attack, but, but more importantly, can drop into coverage, can play some man coverage potentially, and then can impact the game in zone. And I think that's really where, where the game is going. Obviously, for the Panthers, it's expected they're probably still going to play a three, sort of a four-three. Sorry, I mean, you know, there, there there is some potential. They could be you know, they have showed some flexibility, and it's not that they'll never play any sort of three-man fronts. But I, I don't think we're going to see yet another transition completely to a very three-four dominated defense. Um, I think because of that, um, there are going to be a couple of players we talk about in terms of prospects who are very good, but just just I don't think really fit the Panthers. Um, and I think sort of of my sort of top four prospects who we'll talk about in a second. I think two of them just, just don't make sense in Carolina or, or if they came to Carolina would be far less impactful and far less valuable than they would be in other defenses around the NFL. So okay. I think in terms of where the Panthers are at linebacker, um, I, I, I think it's, it's a little bit difficult because you've had sort of a, the best part of a decade where you've had arguably the greatest linebacker to ever play as well yeah. as, you know, Thomas Davis, who was a very good NFL linebacker. Uh, and that for a long time was the sort of the real strength of this defense. I think what you see now in Shaq and Jermaine Carter is two good NFL linebackers who are, you know, if they were your linebackers for the next decade, the linebacker position would not be a, a massive weak point, but also would not be a particular strength. Um, I think Jermaine Carter, obviously we've only seen him a little bit, hasn't had as much playing time as, you know, as some others, and so the, the, the view on him could sort of shift a little bit over the season, and still is young enough that you could expect him to get better. But he was a he was a good, really good run defender. He's a good tackler. Um, he knows where to be in zone. He has good good enough range and, and athletic traits. Um, I think where he you know he probably and, and Shaq as well again has very good range. is is a pretty good run defender. He he can get out of his gap a little bit at times, but he's a good tackler and has the range in zone. I think where where improvement could be made is I think it's not totally clear yet how how much how much man coverage Jermaine Carter could play, and that doesn't mean that he can't do it, but just it, it's it's not something that you're definitely sure he he can go out and do. And I think he probably probably is not going to be like a a, a very top tier man coverage linebacker in the NFL. And and for both players, they they haven't really proven they can be particularly productive generating turnovers and zone coverage. And that isn't, you know, and obviously these things are stochastic. You can't sort of go like, well, you only have one interception, therefore you are bad at it because you just might not have thrown the ball that way. And, it, you know, you need large, large sample sizes. And, and particularly for Jermaine Carter, that's that's something that I would point out that he just hasn't played enough to be particularly sure of this. But, yes. but with Shaq Thompson, he's played a lot. Like, you know, he's been a, he's played in the NFL for six seasons He's been a mainstay starter for at least three of those, and he has one career interception. And it's oh. not—it's not that he can't catch the ball, but it's more—he's he, never really shown that kind of that very top tier level of sort of anticipation and stuff. And don't be wrong, this isn't like a—he's bad because he doesn't generate turnovers. It's more that, like, if I think the thing with Shaq as well is he's being paid that's a like a startling stat, though. It's, it's not a great stat, but it's like the issue is—it's is more that he is being paid like an all pro. And he's yes. playing like a good starter. And that doesn't right. mean, do wrong, he also adds a lot in terms of leadership. And he's definitely a player the Panthers should want to keep. The issue yes. is going to be that you're paying him like this. You, you are paying him like Devin White, Levante David. You know, know. Um, oh, God, the guy in San Francisco's name, I've forgotten. Um, oh, um, you're talking about um, 
Fred Warner. Warner. Yeah, so I had Pete Warner in my head, who's the Ohio State linebacker who's coming up this year, and I knew it wasn't right. But um, yeah, Fred <laughs> Warner, like, you know, you're paying him to be that kind of guy, and he's not yeah. that guy. Um, and that's, I, think, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that Shaq only has had one interception in his career. Yeah, no, he... And, and, I, and I think it's because... You know, when he was drafted, you know, he was drafted as like, a, I think he was like a safety hybrid, you know? Yeah, and he played some running as, back in college as well. Yeah, he played some running back and, you know, looked at him as a really versatile player. But, you know, because he played safety, I was, you know, looking at him as being somebody who who would excel in coverage. And like you said, I don't think it's because he's bad at coverage, you know, no, by he, any stretch. He just hasn't made plays on the ball. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's not that he's a bad coverage player because he isn't a, he is a good coverage player. It's just that he's not a particularly productive player in terms of turnovers. And yes. like, and that doesn't mean again. This isn't saying that he's bad. It's just saying that there is potential room for growth from the position. And, and one of the big things the Panthers need to work out going forward is whether they want the linebacker position. Like, if you if you look at how like Phil Snow's defense was at Baylor, linebacker was not the strength of the defense. They had perfectly right. good linebackers, but the strength was in the front four or the front three in a bit because it was kind of a bit flexible yes. and the secondary. That was that was where the strength was, and the linebackers did their job and were solid. Yeah. If you're doing that, then okay, you maybe want to negotiate, you know, Shaq Thompson a little bit of a pay cut. But but you know, Shaq, right. Shaq and Jermaine Carter could be your starting linebackers for the next five years. Like that's not impossible. It's not that wouldn't be a weakness, and you could be a successful team with that. It's Let just, me ask you a question about those two, though. Yeah. Are they? I mean, we we don't know as much as about Jermaine Carter because, like you said, he hasn't started much. But Shaq has started. Um, at least you know three four seasons and he's played for six now right yeah is he at his ceiling or can he improve um i i think from like a technical i wouldn't say he's at his ceiling i think it's unlikely that he makes a massive step forward i mean right. it's always one of those things where like the mental side of the game does take a while to filter through and like this is the thing you could say like jeremy chin who's all played that linebacker hybrid role is that Chin did a lot of nice things this year. He was a really good player. Wasn't, you know, I, I think Chase Young was probably correctly the rookie of the year, but I think Jeremy Chin deserved to be in that conversation. Yeah. There are still like mental levels he can reach. And it's like, you know, Jeremy Chin had one interception this year. He obviously had a couple of big fumble plays and that kind of stuff. But like the bit that takes his game to that next level is being able to be anticipatory in coverage rather than reactive. And there are guys yes. who, just, who just never get to that point. They're always reactive. And you can be a really good coverage player being reactive. Right. Um, but but like the the very best like the guys who can add value, or not to add value, but the guys who can who can be the particularly in zone coverage defenses can be really impactful. The guys who can be anticipatory and and, and can step in front of passes down the field and generate those turnovers. Because now you, do you think do you think that's an instinct thing, or do you think that's something that comes through like film study and and learning to anticipate certain routes and. It's, it's a bit of both. Like, you, you have to know, like, films, like, I think for Jeremy Chin, it'll be a big part of it is film study, particularly coming from, like, a small school. You just you just have to see these coverages. You, you know, you have not just coverage, the route combinations. You have to see what different teams were in a run. You have to, and you also have to, the game has to slow down enough that you can, you can see it and, and react to it in time. And it's not just, like, everything's very, you know, flashing before your eyes type stuff. Like, so I think there is definitely, for young players, there is a film study bit. But I think ultimately... You can study film and study film and study film, but you also just have to be able, you have to have the, it's like the quarterbacks, you have to have this processing speed to be able to see it and react to it in real time. Yes. That, that there's a real difference between able to be able to draw up a play on a whiteboard, someone tells you a coverage and you talk through what you need to do 
and just being able to see it and do it in real time. Like those are, those are really different skills. Um, uh, And I think that's sort of where the difference lies is that, you you know, I don't think Shaq is by no means an unintelligent player. Like he's, he's clearly a smart guy. I don't think it's that he can't, you know, I think he, he, you know, I don't think, but there are some players who you're like, I don't, don't think you understand this. Whereas I yeah. think, yeah, it's, but, but being able to understand it and being able to, to execute it like in the moment at, at high speed when there's like 250 pound men running at you is it, kind of a bit different. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying he can't do it. And maybe he comes away with four interceptions this year and makes a real step. But, but yeah, yeah I, I think if you look at the way that like Luke Kigley was consistently generating three or four turnovers a year in, in coverage, like he, he, you know, he, he and I'm wrong. I'll say this again, Luke Kigley should not be the standard for any linebacker prospect. It's completely unreasonable to expect anybody, even it would be unreasonable to expect Boston College Luke Kigley to become Carolina Panthers Luke Kigley. Like you just, right. you know, that, that you, you cannot expect someone to become a generational player, um, yeah. particularly in the mental side of the game. But, but by even players who, um, like a, a good example is the, the Wyoming linebacker, whose name I've forgotten, who the, the Bengals drafted last year in the third round and who started... Uh-huh. Quite a lot I know you're talking about. Yeah, I can't think of his name. I can't think of his name. Uh, I think it's Wilson. Might be. I can't remember what his first name is. Um, Logan Wilson. That's it. Um, yeah, like, like he was a guy when you watched him in, in in Wyoming, and you're like, okay, like you could see him really processing the game well. And I can't remember. I have to look up his NFL stats, but like he he might not be that he might wasn't the, the most athletic guy, but you know he got a couple of interceptions last year for the Bengals, even though he got yeah. he got hurt a little bit. But, you know, again, yeah, he had 20, 23 solo tackles and two interceptions. Um, you know, that's... In that's, limited time. In yeah, limited in time, limited yeah. Time. And, and, and yeah. It, but again, it's that you could just see it on tape. You could see him anticipating what was happening in front of him. Um, even though he wasn't... He was a good athlete, but not sort of like a very, very top-tier athlete. And, then, right. and there are guys we'll talk about as well where you can, you can just see guys who, who can read it and can react to it. And it's not always the guys who who are like the smartest guy or like the most like whiteboard smart, but, but it's just the ability to see it and react to it on, on when it's happening in front of you. And what you, I mean, what you brought up with Luke Kuechly is, you know, for fans, for the fans listening, you know, we are very spoiled because we were able to see someone who did all the things that we think should happen at the linebacker position, did it well for almost a decade. Yeah. And now we have not just average guys, we have good players, who are playing the position now, but the difference between where Luke was mm-hmm. in, in his game and you know where anybody would be uh, coming behind Luke is so drastic to where it, it makes everybody else looks like you know look like they're slow you know sometimes you know not processing fast and they may be fine but compared to Luke you know it's just the drop off is just so steep and um, but. Yeah, there's, there's but, a real difference between being bad and not being the best to ever do it. Like that, they're, 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 right, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. And 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 so when we look forward to the position and you know finding players, you know, with the players there with Shaq and Jermaine Carter, um, or you know someone that we may draft or pick up in free agency, we just have to keep that in mind. You know, is that we would we would do well to have two Thomas Davises rather oh, yeah. than trying to replace one Luke Keekley. Um, and I think that's kind of where we need to shift mindset, you know, wise to is, is, is trying to see if we can get at least 
two guys who can be in the neighborhood of Thomas Davis. I think if you um, if, if you have that, you you've got arguably the best linebacking duo in the NFL. Like 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 <laughs> right. I, 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 I don't mean that in sort of the sense of like, like Thomas Davis was this some generational player, but just that if you have two very good players, that's that's a very good thing. Um, yes. So so I, I yeah I think that would be like you know if, if you get to a point where you have two players of Thomas Davis's caliber, you 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 know you're you're laughing kind of thing. I think I think the one other thing I would point out is that even though I think the Panthers would probably do, it'd be quite difficult for Panthers to necessarily make an improvement at starter through the draft this year. Like, you know, drafting players who come in and are immediately better than just good as a starter is, is quite hard at linebacker. But I right. think there is there is a lack of depth. You know, um, Julian Stanford, Odarius Taylor, and um, Tahir Whitehead are all free agents. Um, yes. and, and while I imagine they'll probably bring, I guess they'd bring Taylor and Stanford back. Um, yes. Uh, you need depth. Um, and you know they, they they signed a ridiculous number of UDFA linebackers last year, right? Even even if it's not like a high draft pick, I would imagine they would they would be at least interested in spending some draft capital on bringing in some some higher quality depth that they can then potentially develop. And either next year can step in if, if Jermaine Carter walks in free agency, or if they move on from Shaq, having someone who can just be depth now and then and then start down the road. That's probably a a more feasible thing for the Panthers this year than expecting them to go out and draft like someone who in the first round who comes in and is like a, a high quality starter week one. Well, you, you know, you brought up a really good point. Shaq Thompson, he catches a lot of flack, but I believe he's a, I think he's a good linebacker. Jermaine yeah. Carter is pretty much just a novice at being a starter in the, at the NFL level, but he shows well when he gets opportunity. Yeah, he, he, look, he looked good but not amazing. Yeah. Not not amazing, but he, he looked good. And I think he was an improvement, you know, to, to hear Whitehead. Yeah, um, unquestionably. To hear play this season. But what you said at the end of that, you know, was that to hear Whitehead, um, Darius Thomas, oh, Taylor. Taylor, I'm sorry, Darius Taylor and Julian Stafford, they are all free agents. Yeah. And we're paper thin at the linebacker position. Yeah, they're, they're also all in their 30s as well, which is worth noting. They're not like like 25-year-old free agents there. If they do come right. back, they're short-term, they're short-term depth. They're not like at the guy best. who's going to be linebacker three for a decade kind of thing. Yeah, at best. And so th- that puts a little bit more weight on this conversation we're about to have because it would be hard to believe that we would go through this draft and not pick a guy who has the potential to be a starter down the road. Because as you said, Carter is in the last year of his contract and he could walk next year. And then Shaq, who has a large cap number, um, if he doesn't rework his contract, he could find himself a cap casualty as early as next season. Yeah, no, I agree. And so, and so you know, we would you would think that they would want to find at least one starter level um uh, yeah, Ricky, yeah. you know, through the draft, you know, this year. And so, I mean, it, I, it puts I, a little bit more weight on this. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where, like, sensibly, the Panthers have so many needs that expect, you know, it, it, but the Panthers basically drafted Shaq in the first round to be Thomas Davis's replacement kind of thing. Like, yeah. the Panthers do have too many needs right now to be able to spend a first round pick on the replacement for Shaq Thompson or the replacement for Jermaine Carter. Like, that's just not, right. you know. Um, and, like, we will talk about some players who might, you know, I think there's, if you want to the very cream of the crop in terms of developmental starters, I think there are like there will be players. Probably the, the second round is a bit rich, but certainly you'd hope one of them would fall to the third round. So that's an area that if 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 it's a real priority for the Panthers, there are guys who will be a good option in the third round in that regard. But there's also a chance that you're looking more at, and I think it's something that's worth noting as well. The Panthers have quite a good history of drafting 
like day three linebackers who start out special teams guys, become fringe starters, and then starters. Um, it's not always starters in Carolina, to be fair, but like AJ Klein, David Mayo, and, and now Jermaine Carter have all gone from being like the special teams guy to the number three linebacker guy to the, the starter. Um, and I think someone like that is probably that that would be my expectation going into the draft. Like drafting a guy like um we'll, we'll talk about him in more detail, but a guy like Chas Surratt or or Jabril Cox in the third round, I think that is more of a luxury. Like if you trade down and you get more third round picks, say then it becomes much more viable. But right. those are though, you know, particularly like Cox is someone who is basically just gonna play special teams and develop for a year. Um, that's a luxury for a team that has a lot of needs. Whereas drafting a linebacker in the fifth or sixth round um, who becomes a special teams guy and maybe plays some like number three linebacker role late in the season or maybe gets a bit and see the field at times and then either comes in to compete for a starting role next year or if he really impresses, you know, you move on from one of Shaq or Carter kind of thing. Uh, you know, that's like an absolute best case scenario for those type picks, but that's more the kind of level of investment I'd expect. Something like a, a mid to late day two pick, unless the Panthers do really fall in love with someone uh, sort of late on day two. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it can go either way. I mean, it, it would be hard, you know, just to find anybody in this draft where we would draft the med linebacker, you know, who would be a, a day one improvement to Shaq yeah. or Carter. But given the uncertainty, you know, of the, the NFL life, you know, with injuries and everything, you could find a guy who could find himself on the field very early yeah. and actually becoming a mainstay, you know, at the second level for the Panthers. So I'm interested to talk about him, man. You know, let's let's get into you know, yeah. our 2021 prospects. Tell me who your top prospects are this year and how they may fit for the Panthers or not fit the Panthers. Yes, that's kind of like a class of four that sort of separate themselves from me. Um, I th- the, for me, I think the top guy, I think, yeah, so I, I think it's probably the best way to put it is there are, there are two players in my top four who I think are very good, but just don't make sense to the Panthers. Um, okay. And I've got two guys who I think would make sense to the Panthers in particular, but have a bit more versatility. Um, probably for me, the top guy is Jeremiah um, Owusu Karamoa uh, from Notre Dame. Um, Go Irish. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think he's a. Some some people probably see him as like a strong safety, and I think there are there, like if you play like a really conventional box safety, there is maybe a role for him to do that. Um, but I think he's a very good fit in sort of the modern um, coverage focus, slightly undersized linebacker. Um, I think he, you know, he probably wouldn't do amazingly inside in a three four, um, but in a four three like the Panthers, he would be a good fit. Um, he has good range in zone. He moves really well. He's a really you know, sort of aggressive run defender. He's a uh, takes on blocks pretty well with quite active hands. Shows good gap discipline. Um, I think he needs to wrap more consistently as a tackler. He has a tendency to just sort of dive in with his shoulder, um, which leads to some pretty crunching hits, but also leads to a few more like missed tackles than than you'd like. So I think he could he could definitely improve in that regard. But I think for him, the, the thing that the sort of that holds him back for me is that he, while a good coverage player, doesn't show that sort of very top level sort of anticipation and ball skills, at least on a consistent basis that you'd like to see. He has more, yes. like, w- where his value is right now is as a man coverage player. Like he, he can play like a high quality of man coverage either in the slots or against tight ends and running backs. Um, but I think for him to really add a lot of value in the zone, he needs to show more sort of anticipation uh, uh, of routes and, and ability to sort of jump routes underneath. And, and get me wrong, that's, you, you get him. Like, you, like, you know who it sounds Jermaine like Carter. you're describing? Who? 
it sounds like you're describing Jeremy Chin last year. Yeah, a little bit. I, th- I think Chin is a more fluid athlete, but less like aggressively physical. Like yeah. I, I, I think there will be some people who will try and use Mousu um, Karamoa in that Chin role, and I think. I, I think he is a more physical player than is needed for that role and probably not quite as smooth in coverage that you'd want from that role. Like, whereas Jeremy Chin can actually legitimately go and play centre field safety. I think if you line Ousu Karamara up in centre field, you're that's more of a you're more doing that as a wrinkle to confuse a defense and something that you're right. legitimately thinking he's going to do well. Like I, I don't think that's his game. Well, um, let, let me as a point of clarification. This discussion is centered around the linebacker position and the players that we currently have and, and, and some of the top prospects in the draft who may fit and may not fit. But the context of this conversation is that we're thinking Jermaine, um, I say Jermaine, not Jermaine Carter, but Jeremy Chen is going to slide back to safety in a more permanent role. Eventually. I, I, I yeah, I, I think if you draft... The only way Karamoa makes sense to the Panthers is if you really trade down in the first. That's probably where he makes sense, like early yeah. 20s. I think if you draft him, then yeah, you're moving Jeremy Chin to safety. Like I, I, I think that would be that would be the only way that really makes sense. Like I don't I don't think you're drafting a linebacker in the first round to bench Jermaine Carter. Like I, I think that that's not a good use of your resources given what other needs you have. So right. um yeah, I I think he's a good player. I I think you know if if I think early in the season, sort of linebacker was one of the very top needs for the Panthers in terms of how it was perceived. Um, and I think yes. then he, you know, if, if you were talking about the Panthers picking sort of mid first round, having largely solidified their offensive line perhaps, and sort of having sort of, you know, got, you know, you know, Razzle Douglas is your new sort of long term starter at the corner and that kind of stuff. And you were sort of really looking at sort of filling out a few final needs, then I think he makes a lot of sense. Um, I just, I don't think, I, I just, I don't think you can justify it as a Panthers this year unless you trade down in, in a, or he somehow falls to the second round, say. Um, but, he, but even then, I think there are bigger needs, personally. Um, I think the other player who makes sense, the top guys, the other player who makes sense to the Panthers is Chas Surratt, uh, wow, the North that's, Carolina. That's a, big name. that's a familiar name, yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he does show that really sort of, really, like, he was, they used him as a blitzer a lot at, at North Carolina, um, mm-hmm. which is, not unreasonable. So he was a converted quarterback, actually. So he he is relatively new to playing the position. So it is reasonable to expect that he'll get quite a lot better. But they sort of they blitzed him a lot, and he was quite good at that, and he got quite a lot of sacks. But the plays that are really impressive is actually when he's dropping into coverage. Like you know, he's like two twenty five, six two, two twenty five, something like that. Like yeah, he's yeah. He, he's quite quite slight, but he he moves really well. He shows quite nice anticipation, though. Again, he's a guy who could really elevate his game by showing more of that. But again, right. should be able to play like a high quality of man coverage. Um, moves really well, pretty solid run defender, though he probably needs a bit more working off blocks. But yeah, I think I think he if he falls to the third round, then I think he's a legitimate option for the Panthers. And I think he's a he's a good guy to sort of rest, you know, play special teams for a year, maybe play some sub linebacker, um, and then maybe step into a starting role down the line. Um, but again, if he, if you're having to take him, if he's sort of the projections on him range for like top 50 to like top 90. At top 90, he makes sense to the Panthers. If he's top 50, again, it's just hard given the other needs to, to take something like that. Right. Um, but again, I, those two are, are really good and very conventional. Like, you know, they are they are like the ideal fits for what you're looking for in sort of the modern NFL linebacker. Well, you know, uh, Chancellor Wright is, is interesting because he's a guy that I've watched from the very beginning of the season because with, you know, having, you know, 
you know, following Panthers fans and a lot of them being North Carolina fans, you know, they 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 talk um, highly of, of Chad Surratt and his abilities. And, and so I did watch him a lot. You know, he does flash a lot. He has all of that, you know, all of those skills that we talk about being able to drop back in coverage. They did blitz him a lot. But, you know, he looked really good doing everything that he did. Yeah. Uh, I, the one thing I like about guys like Chad Surratt is his history of playing quarterback. Whenever you find these guys, you know, that made that conversion from quarterback to a, a defensive position, or sometimes even other offensive positions like, you know, like tight end with Logan Thomas or, you know, wide receiver, they're very good at dissecting the game or seeing the game through the quarterback's eyes. And so they're able to do some things more um, instinctively than other players are because of their ability to study the game, you know, study the, the QB's tendencies and, and, yeah. and, and be where they need to be on defense or offense. So, you know, that's one thing that I think, Chas Rock, you know, brings to the table that's kind of an intangible um, that could benefit him, you know, uh, if he falls into the right situation, the right defensive scheme. So yeah, it's, I, it's, I, I think for me, that's more of like a bonus. Like it, it's yeah. the, you think, oh, that's interesting. Maybe he can do this rather than like, oh yeah, that, that's going to make him, you know, I, I don't think you'd want to go like, well, he played quarterback, so he must be able to read cover, <laughs> you know, must be able right, to read right, passing right. concepts. Like I, I don't think you should just assume that. But I think there are definitely flashes of it on tape, and I think it, it offers some optimism for how he continues to develop going forward. So I, I think if, if he is there in the third round, then he is a, a really good developmental option, and is kind of sort of that ideal combination of high upside whilst also not necessarily being like someone you have to take on day one. Yeah. Um, there are also the two guys who, who I haven't talked about who may be sort of obvious omissions in top, top linebackers are Micah Parsons and Zayvon Collins. Um, and if I'm honest, I think they are both very good players. I don't think either really makes sense in Carolina. Um, that hurts my feelings a little bit, Vince, you know, because I'm a big Michael Parsons guy. He is, and... he is very <laughs> exciting to watch. Like he is, he, like, again, I, I think I mentioned this about talking to you beforehand, but like, he's a guy who would have been more valuable 10 years ago. Like he's a, he's a really good run defender who right. shows potential in man coverage and is fine in zone coverage. And, right. and, there are schemes where that will be a great fit. Like if, if he also is a, is a really good pass rusher, um, like he would make so much sense in New England as like a, a high tower replacement, say where he can, he's either stopping the run where he's really good or rushing the passer where he's really good or playing man coverage where he at least has the potential to be pretty damn good. So right. it's it, it, in that kind of like three, four scheme where he plays inside, rushes the passer a lot, doesn't play that much zone and they play, they're really aggressive, play a lot of cover zero. Like you, you, I think you mentioned Miami is another team that does a similar thing. Like, yeah, th those are that he would be a great fit in those schemes. Um, I, I don't think he'd be a good fit in a scheme like the Panthers, which plays a lot of zone. Not because yeah. I think he's he's bad at it, but again, it's similar with Shaq and Jermaine Carter, where it's like he, or at least with Shaq, Jermaine Carter again, the sample size thing is worth mentioning. But like, he he is where he needs to be. He covers a reasonable amount of space, but he looks a little bit clung. I mean, he he does look a little bit tight in the hips at times in, in, in zone, and he doesn't really show that sort of ability to impact the game. Like, again, has no career interceptions at Penn State, has never picked up a pass. I think he has now, like, five, five pass deflections, which, again, wow. is, not, is, is not awful, but it's like it, there isn't much evidence. You know, he, he has not been to this point a particularly productive player, and when you see it on tape as well, Obviously, it's a very hard thing to see watch these kind of things with linebackers because it, it's not something that shows up every player. You have to watch, you know, lots and lots and lots, and it's not always possible. But right. 
when watching him, you don't get the impression that he's he's hugely anticipatory. And some of that is because maybe he hasn't, you know, hasn't been coached that way yet. And maybe there is, you know, there there is definitely some potential for him to get quite good in that regard. Like it's not that he's athletically limited as such, but right. it, I think expecting him to suddenly become that guy would be a a little bit of an unfair expectation to place on him, even if when you draft him, if, you know, even if the Patriots draft him, they maybe hope they can teach him those skills. Yes. Um, but I don't think, whereas at least in their defense, it's not necessary that he does that. He can be a really impactful player without doing that. And if he does that, then it's a bonus. He becomes a great player. Whereas, do you think possibly? Do you think he would go top ten? I don't. I mean, it's really hard to know. I I, I don't think I'd draft him top ten. I think even if you're the Patriots, like the the linebacker who doesn't pick off the linebacker who isn't amazing in coverage is quite a hard sell. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I personally wouldn't, I think he's more of that 15 to 20 type range player. I mean, I, I yeah, I probably don't, I'm probably not as high on him as a lot of other people. And again, I think that's partly because of, of some hesitations around his coverage, but I, I also think his value is going to be so different for different teams. Like, you know, yes. like, for, for teams that don't play that kind of scheme, he has way less value. Like, you know, he, he, he if you play like a standard conventional 4-3, I don't think he's a first-round player. Um, right. Not because he's bad, but like his skill set is not what you're looking for. Whereas yeah. if you're playing like the Patriots scheme, then he's he's definitely a first-round pick. So and it, there's it, really only like three defenses that I can think of right now that play that scheme, and that's the Patriots, the New York Giants, and the Miami Dolphins. I'm thinking about, you know, all of the guys who are disciples of Belichick, you know, who might deploy something like that. And maybe the Tennessee Titans. Um, I don't know how Mike Brable's defense is compared to, I have to the old defense. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, maybe those four teams would be teams where they would pick a linebacker with Parsons skill set and he would be a fit, you know, but obviously he was my draft darling, you know, so yeah. you're saying that he wouldn't be a fit for the Panthers is kind of pressing, but given our needs in the first round now anyway, I kind of moved on from being able to draft him. So um, so it, it doesn't kill yeah, me, but you I, know, I was like, man, I, I really could imagine him, you know, just disrupting things for the Panthers, but with this field snow defense, maybe he isn't the best fit. No, I think so, the, the, the Donta Hightower has 25 and a half career sacks and one career interception. And I think that's much more of a Micah Parsons career stat line than sort of a Luke Keekley, where it's almost kind of the other way around. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I think Parsons just is, is, yeah, he's not. Again, he's not a bad player, but he's, yeah, he's, he's just not a good fit in Carolina. I don't think. Okay, I can accept that. So, who, who is your last guy? Uh, the last guy is Zayvon Collins. Um, again, yeah. he, he's sorry, I forgot about to mention him, but yes, yeah, Zayvon Collins, who uh, he's almost sort of some weird combination of the two, where he is a really, really good zone defender um, and a good run defender, but just. He is 260 pounds and just doesn't cover that much space. So, like right. he, he's a guy who's who. If you play like a zone three four, will be a great fit as a middle linebacker. He can defend the run really well. Um, he's got really good instincts and ball skills in zone. He's just not going to drop super deep and cover that much space. Like if if you if you want a guy who can be a really good zone defender in a fairly small space, he's a he's a great fit for that. Um, yeah. If you're asking him to drop into like a, a middle of the field role on the Tampa two, he's probably not going to do super well. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it, yeah, he, he's a guy who is both, both him and Parsons, a guy who's in the right usage are really good players, 
but are going to need to be in the right scheme to be that good. And if you put them in, a, you know, if you stuck both guys in in a four three as like conventional, in, you know, or a four two five, really, with all the Panthers run, like they're 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 going to struggle. Like you know, Collins will struggle to cover enough space, and Parsons just won't be as impactful as he would be elsewhere. So I think they're they're two guys who are right in the very top tier of linebackers for me, but just not not good fits in Carolina. And 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 I can I can accept you know that on both guys on 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 Collins and Parsons. You know, when I look at your top four, I would agree that they are the top four linebackers in the draft. Uh, Kerry Moore, I watched a lot of at Notre Dame. I think he is more the prototypical fit for the modern NFL Mm -hmm. uh, with his ability to cover, you know, with um, the ability to stay on, you know, if you're in the base package and then, you know, they come out with um, 11 personnel and, you know, he can flex out and maybe cover a slot receiver or something to that effect. You know, he can, he can do that for you. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm high on him. You know, I'm, I'm like a lot of people when they look at him and his size and wonder if he's going to end up being more of a safety, you know, than a linebacker. But I think in this NFL, having that flexibility is key. And, and yeah. that's one thing that Matt Rule and Phil Snow have talked about since day one is, is being position flexible. And so I can I see how he would be very intriguing for them um, if there was some type of draft scenario where they could trade back and maybe get him in the teens. Yeah. Um, you know, as a, you know, for Chad Surratt, another guy who I think has high upside. And when we, you know, when you say a top prospect, you're not saying you know, that he is a first rounder. You're just saying no. that he's a top prospect uh, because of his abilities and how he could potentially fit what we would need him to do. And, you know, just the modern NFL in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, top, I think I should probably be clear. When I said earlier that, that I don't think he makes sense top 50 for the Panthers. That isn't because I don't think he's a top 50 player in this draft, but just because I don't think the Panthers can justify spending a top 50 pick on a linebacker who is not sort of like an immediate yeah. massive, like yeah. day one elite player. Um, yeah. Just, it, it, yeah. It's not, it's not, he, he, he is probably a top 50 player in the draft for me. No. And, and, and yeah. And I think I, I understood what you were saying there. Um, Parsons and Collins, obviously of the four, I think they would be my top two, but then having this, you know, discussion, having, you know, the opportunity to study some of these guys, you know, in preparation for this episode, I'm learning something about myself as a fan. And that may be that my way of seeing the position may be a bit antiquated uh, because I want these guys because of the big play potential and, you know, making the splash, you know, plays in the, back, in the backfield and, you know, just being the big, certainly middle linebacker, you know, of the, the Ray Lewis mold, um, of the molds that we've seen in the past. And maybe that's not the way, of the modern NFL. And so, you know, guys like Karamoa, um, Surratt, you know, those are the guys that that the NFL may be adjusting to. And so um, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this particular class plays out, especially these top four players. You know, I think it's going to be um, crucial, you know, where they end up at in terms of how they pan out in terms of success. And so I'll be watching, you know, where – Michael Parsons ends up, I'll be watching whether um, Xavier Collins ends up, you know, to see if they end up in the type of place where they can be maximized, you know, compared to the Karamoas and the, and the yeah. Surratt's. You know, that's going to be an interesting um, kind of like an experiment to see unfold because, you know, it's going to tell us a lot about what's happening going forward in the NFL. So those are the top four prospects, and yeah. they're all solid. You know, let's talk about some of the people who may be a little bit overhyped. Yeah. Um, I think there are kind of a couple of guys to mention first. So Nick Bolton from Missouri and Dylan Moses from Alabama. 
And I think I should point out that I think both are like perfectly solid players who who should be decent NFL starters. Um, I just think that a little bit they're coasting on reputation. They're guys who have been really, really, really productive in the SEC in big, you know, particularly for Moses, big schools. And I think that almost people sort of slot them then as like an, an early day two kind of pick, even if they're not a, like a, a first round type guy. And I, I, I think both players are probably not going to be able to justify that kind of draft selection. I think both can be, can probably be quite good day one. Like if, you know, if the Panthers didn't have Jermaine Carr to say, and you were just looking to replace to Whitehead and you're like, we, we need, you know, we want to compete now. We want a guy who can come in and can be solid week one. I think right. Bolton and Moses are that kind of guy. Um, right. I don't think they're a guy who you draft in the second round and expect to be a Pro Bowl player in a year or two. Um, yeah. I, I, if I'm honest, I think Moses hasn't looked the same since his injury. Um, I, I don't think he was bad last year, but he just looked a bit passive. He isn't as explosive in coverage. Um, he just doesn't cover the same range um, or look quite as controlled in his movements. Um, and I think when you take away that kind of real coverage upside, I think he's mediocre run defense is, is is a harder sell no he he looked every bit of um that to me when i watched alabama play this season i was fixed on him you know just to see you know what 32 could do and oftentimes i left disappointed you know he didn't make any splash plays he, he was rarely the first linebacker you know at the you know at the ball carrier and coverage he didn't look special um, he he always was was late to arrive to the play, and for the guy who I expected to be the leader of that defense, you know, because Alabama has always had a top talent in the middle of their defense, and you know whether it was a first round or a second round, you know, you could always count on their middle linebacker being a stud, um, mm-hmm. kind of like their kind of like their running backs, right? You know, and so yeah. uh, Dylan Moses was hyped to be that guy in this Alabama defense, and. And he just wasn't that enough. And, you know, ironically enough, you know, this was probably one of the worst defenses I've seen from Alabama in quite some time. And, you know, and it may be because he wasn't as good as, you know, of a second level defender they've had as they had in the past. But he um, definitely, you know, has a bigger name than I see value at this point. So I I definitely would agree with with, um, Dylan Moses. I didn't see much of Nick Bolton. I've watched film on him, but I can see why you would say what you would say yeah, on him. Because well. he's, he's a perfectly good player. I think he'll be a solid NFL starter. I just think taking him in the top 50 picks is probably going to be a bit rich. Um, okay. I, I, yeah, I think both of them are like, I, I, I think Bolton is probably a little bit of a safer pick um, than, than Moses, at least given how Moses looked post-injury. Yes. Um, but again, he's, like, he's a pretty good run defender. Um, is solid in coverage, but just you know probably isn't going to be great in man coverage if asked to do that a lot. And if he plays in zone, it's hard to see him generating a ton of massively impactful plays. Like, again, yeah. looks to be a solid starter, but I'm not sure you draft solid starters in the top 50 picks and linebacker anymore. Um, I got you. I mean, I'm with you on that. <laughs> I think the 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 other player is Baron Browning. Um, and again, he's the uh, Ohio State uh, linebacker. Um, I don't think he's awful. I just don't think he's anything particularly remarkable. I think if he was coming out of Central Michigan or 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 you know Oklahoma State, I think he would be probably not talked about as a potential day two pick. Um, I, I do know, deserve to be drafted mid round player. Just I don't think he stands. You know, if you're if you're talking about him compared to sort of the likes of uh, of Riley Cole or, or Buddy Johnson. I don't think he's necessarily like a clear step above them and they're not being talked about as day two picks. Ooh, I mean, and, and that's, 
it's, it's crazy you bring him up in, in this part of the discussion because I think Baron Davis, I'm Baron, Baron Davis, I'm thinking basketball. Baron Browning mm-hmm. is a guy who could go either way. And he does appear to be a bit overhyped, you know, and a, a lot of it is because he plays for Ohio State. Um, but he does have like all the physical skills. Mm-hmm. You know, he has all the physical skills to be really good. Um, they use them you know, at the second level in a lot of different positions. You know, I saw him play a lot as an edge rusher. You yeah. know, like they, they would bring him in, they would blitz him off the edge. And, you know, he looked really good doing that. You know, he's a really good athlete that shows. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't but, think he, I don't think he always moved in the space hugely comfortably. I think he looked a little bit tight in his hips when he was moving in space. So I think if, if yeah. like, I mean, there's a guy we'll talk about in a second from another um, Big Ten school. But like, I think if you're looking for sort of just pure athleticism, there are better guys in this draft um, okay. who, who don't appear to be going to be going much, at least aren't being projected much higher. Like, I think there are, I think he's, yeah, I, I, he has, it's not that he's without talent. Like, he's he's in that sort of mid-round tier for me. It's just okay. that, it's just that he hasn't, I don't know, I don't really see what's elevating him as opposed to a, to a Buddy Johnson or a, or a Riley Cole. And I can accept that, you know, and, and honestly, you know, when you play at a place like Ohio State, if you have made it this far and people still have questions about you, then they, they probably are legitimate because everybody looks for every reason to to hype up a guy, you know, and, and say that they'll be special when you play for a school like Ohio State and you have so much talent around you, you have so much ability to shine. The fact that he hasn't been able to do that, like I think he finished strong this, you know, this season, uh, but you know, but I think a lot of his value does come from where he plays. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Baron Browning um, as compared to a lot of these other guys. I think, like what you mentioned about some of the guys in your top prospects, Baron Browning is one of these guys that if he ends up playing for the right defense coordinator, the right situation, um, I think he'll be able to shine. But, you know, for the moment, yeah, he could be a little bit overhyped. Yeah, I think the one thing I would say with that is that Generally, when when you've got a guy who's got the talent of a Zayvon Collins or a Micah Parsons, yeah, and you're investing a top fifty pick, you're willing to be a bit flexible about what you do defensively. Like, it's like when you talk, when you hear Phil Snow talk, like they're going to be flexible around Chin and 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 Burns because they're their best yeah. players, and 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 Derek, Derek Brown and a few others. But like those are the players they're going to build around schematically. Whereas generally, you don't build, you don't sort of unless you find a defense that has a role already for Baron Browning, you're not going to start sort of reshuffling your defense schematically around your fifth round pick. Like un- unless yeah. he just absolutely balls out in training camp, you're not going to adjust schematically to suit the to suit eighth, his skill set. To suit yeah. the eighth best guy in your defense. Like that's yeah. just that's not what teams do. So he it's not what good teams special do. Enough. Yeah, he yeah, doesn't yeah. do anything special enough for you to have to adjust to. Yeah. Whereas like, highlight. Whereas like Mark, Micah Parsons will be one of the most talented players on most defenses in the NFL. And if the yeah. Panthers you know just say the Panthers do draft him he will then be along with Brian Burns and Jeremy Chin and Derek Brown, the sort of the foundational pieces. And then you start trying to work out how you fit around those four. You know, know, honestly, when I'm going back to Micah Parsons, going back to Micah Parsons, that's what I actually envisioned, you know, when I was wanting him early in the season, you know, I thought we would have the luxury of being able to go for the best player available. And when I saw our defense, you know, we had like this amorphous type defense where we could go with, you know, Alame, we go, you know, even front, um, you know, for the first two downs, and then we would go odd, you know, for the, you know, for the third down, which I didn't love, but because the way Phil Snow termed his defense as multiple, 
I was like, well, maybe we can be multiple, you know, in the way of, you know, the, the Patriots being multiple. It didn't turn out that way, but that's kind of the vision I had, you know, for the defense before we saw more of what the defense turned out to be. Yeah. And I, I looked at Parsons being one of those four, you know, defensive cornerstones, you know, with Burns, Brown, Chin, and having a defense that you can do a lot of different things with. And so, um, so yeah, that, that, that's honestly why I fell in love with Parsons. But, you know, as you mentioned, he may not be the best fit, you know, for what we do. And so, uh, and then, but, you know, but he, he may go to a team that's not necessarily like the Patriots and they could be, you know, a different type of scheme. But as you mentioned, because he's so talented, maybe it, it forces the defensive coordinator to just, to adjust how they do things a little bit, you know, to, accentuate him and his and his skill set a bit more so yeah yeah i yeah i i can see that a little bit i think with him that would almost mean with sort of parsons specifically i'd probably mean playing him at edge a little bit yeah yeah um making more of a pass rusher right yeah because i think unless you're going to completely rebuild yeah because if if you're going to keep blitzing your linebacker um you either then have to yeah effectively if if unless he's going to switch between like what the Patriots are, they switch between like man coverage and blitzing, which would suit him yeah. really well. Whereas if you're switching between zone coverage and blitzing, then he becomes less effective. And if he's just blitzing all the time, well then you might as well just, just call him a pass rusher because he's not yes, really playing oh, linebacker yes. anymore. Yeah. 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 He, I mean, this is sort of a weird tangent, but like Chris Rumpf, the, uh, the, the Duke defensive end, like yes. he, he was rushing the passer. He might be lining up a linebacker, but he's rushing the part. Like when with Duke, it was kind of like, you know, they would line him up all over the place, but he was always coming. It was just a matter of where right. you, it was just where, where you was coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, like you could sort of see Parsons doing that, but um, I think he'd be better in it, better in more of like a, a man blitz heavy, heavy defense. But that defense requires very good cornerbacks, which the Panthers it, it just that, that's not how the Panthers are being built, basically. Okay, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna start talking about Mike Parsons because I know that I'm always trying to convince everybody around me to um, to accept him as a Panther. So um, I'm going to let you go on to who might be an actual really good fit for the Panthers. So I know there's a, a list of, of linebackers. I think you mentioned one already, but, you know, talk about, you know, who we may actually draft uh, based on, you know, where we have the luxury of drafting the linebacker and, you know, who, who in that category would fit the Panthers and what we do. Talk about those guys. Yeah. So I think that's kind of, there's two tiers of guys. There's sort of the, the, the guy you draft either in the third or maybe the fourth round if they fall, where the expectation is that they're going to become the starter. That, that you know, and I think that's the Chas Surratt, Cam McGrone from Michigan, and uh, Jabril Cox from LSU. Okay. Uh, I think all three have really high ceilings, that partic- particularly Cox and Surratt, um, that, that need some development and need some kind of fine-tuning. Uh, and could maybe play a bit of a role in 2021, um, but it's more about what they can be a year or two down the line. But I think okay. if you're drafting a guy in the third or fourth round, you do that with the expectation that they get, you know, particularly if you're doing it as a developmental player, you're drafting them to become a starter. You're not drafting a guy, you know, 73rd overall, I think it was Panthers picking the third round. You don't draft a guy 73rd overall to be a backup. Um, right. So I, I think if the Panthers... I don't think that's an impossibility, but I think if the Panthers do that, it's it's because they're they're, they're going to start them eventually. Um, I think Surratt we've already talked about. Obviously, I think Cox is an interesting player in that he shows really nice instincts and ball skills, and is a great athlete, moves really well. Um, 
and actually played a relatively conventional outside linebacker role um, when he was at North Dakota State in 2019, then transferred to LSU where he played a lot of, he played in the slot, like it, like playing at the line of scrimmage in the slot, almost like a safety. Um, a lot. Right. And I don't think that really helped his development a ton. I think his footwork needs quite a lot of work. He needs, you know, he's much better when he's working a bit off the line of scrimmage and he can sort of anticipate and play a lot of zone. Yeah. Um, and has great range, really moves really well, but just needs 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 to tighten up his footwork and need, needs to get better as a run defender. Frankly, he's just he's just far too passive as a run defender. Um, no, like you know, he knows where to be. He doesn't get out of his gap or anything. He's just a bit passive. Um, and I don't like that. I, I mean, I'm I'm telling you, I love the linebacker position, and I love seeing linebackers flow to the ball. I love seeing them fill the gaps, you know, and 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 meet running backs, you know, at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I hate having a linebacker who is passive at tackling or uses his hands, doesn't use good tackling technique. There's nothing that bothers me more when I watch football than that. And so um, I don't curse a lot, you know, but if I curse when watching football, it's probably because a linebacker um, is passive at tackling. And so I love what Cox can bring to the table in terms of, you know, what he does in coverage, you know, him being able to, you know, sit in the zone. I think he has great anticipation in the zone. Um, and, and and like you said, they used him at LSU. You know, it's, it seems like they used him more like a safety. I see him like a safety because that's that's how he shows up. Um, and I probably would see him more as a linebacker if I thought he was more aggressive as a tackler. So, yeah, um, I, 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 aside from those things, I think, you know, he, he could be a good fit. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's definitely a player where you, you'd want to – because so much of his value is tied to his development, you would want to be fairly confident in who he was as a person. Um, I don't know. I can't speak to that. I, I, I can't right. say good or bad. But but uh, yeah, he's he's he is more of a true sitting and developing type player. Whereas yeah. like Surratt and also the other guy who is um, Kevin Grown from Michigan, they're more they can play early on. It's just that their ceiling has not been reached yet. Type guys. Um, and and he moves so me- well. I know, like to me, McGrone, when when I was preparing for this episode, you know, when you when you studying and you trying to find out, you know, who these guys are, when you're looking at whatever film you can see on them, you know, every once in a while a guy would pop and it's like, okay, I wasn't expecting you to be this good. And so to me, Cam McGrone was that guy. And he he isn't talked about a lot. I think, you know, he's somewhere around most people's sixth or seventh best linebacker in the draft. But Cam McGrone is a guy that when I saw him, I was like, okay, you know, based on what we have already discussed today, you know, guys who can do a lot of things well, that can move well, like Cam Cam McGrone is that guy yeah, no, uh, he, in he, this category for me. He, he's a guy who I think can come in, he needs a tiny footwork a little bit, but can be, can, again, can a bit like Owusu Karamoa, can definitely play a high quality of man coverage, whether yeah. he can play a high quality, he certainly has the range to play zone coverage, but whether he has the anticipation and the, the process and the ball skills is still a bit uncertain. Right. Um, I think he's also, he needs to get better working off blocks. I don't think he's awful, but yes. he's just, no, that, you know, he needs to get better at that. He needs to work on a technique, get a bit of functional strength and stuff. So I think he's, yeah, he, he, he's a guy who, who, I mean, he does, he just moves incredibly well. He has great range um, and can really play sideline to sideline, both in coverage and against the run, um, but just needs to be a little bit, that you feel there's another another level for him to get to. Um but no, he is. He he's he's the guy that's you know he's he's not quite in that very top tier of prospects for me. But he is that guy that's just that step below and and probably uh, 
yeah, I think in the third round would be good value. Um, whether whether he you know it's worth the whether the, whether that makes sense for the Panthers um, in terms of other needs and stuff, I, I, it's hard to say. But I think he, yeah, he, he's it quite. Whereas I think Jabril Cox has a real bust factor, um, despite his talent. Right, I, 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 I can see that. I, I think McGrown. It's harder to see him out and out busting, though I could see him not living up to his potential. Similar, similar to Surratt, I think both of them are good enough already that I don't. I think they could play right right away and be fine. They just haven't got as good as they can be. Whereas Cox, I think, would be a unless he makes significant improvements. If he plays like he did at LSU, would be a bit of a liability if you put him on the field week one. Um, I think outside of that tier of like that probably third round, maybe fourth round picked up guys. I think there's. Then the option of the the guy you draft later on day three comes in, plays a high quality of special teams, and then maybe he starts a year or two down the road. Um, I, I think there are a few names. I think Pete Werner from Ohio State is maybe going to go a little bit too high to be in that. I think he's more of like a fourth, maybe fifth round pick. I think if he goes around or so later than that, maybe he's an option there. I think right. for me, for me, he was definitely the better of the two Ohio State linebackers. Okay. Uh, but I, I think the guy who I think so far I think is maybe the guy who makes more sense the Panthers is um, Nick Nearman from okay. Iowa. So he he sort of played a bit of a rotational role in 2019 and then started full time in 2020. Um, he's a really good tackler. He's a good but not an elite athlete, but moves well. Um, really really long guys like six four two thirty three type thing. That's good size, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Shows nice flashes of anticipation, certainly has the ball skills, um, needs to tighten up his footwork, which is obviously harder for a taller guy because you've got sort of longer limbs and stuff. Um, but you know, his footwork needs to sort of get a bit tighter and stuff. But yeah, he, he's um you know, he, he's definitely a guy who I think you could draft into the sixth, maybe seventh round, comes in, is like a really solid special teams guy, you know, technical tackler high effort guy and then has the has the at least the athletic traits and, and flashes of anticipation and that you can sort of think okay we can we can develop you into a good coverage player so i think he's he's more of that like true like draft special teams developed starter pipeline type guy and i mean and you know and and we may end up just getting a guy like that you know it wouldn't surprise me honestly you know when you talk about a guy like uh neiman you know compared to you know, some of the guys who are a little bit more highly talented, like Surratt or maybe uh, McGrone, like it wouldn't surprise me if the Panthers doubled up at linebacker this year. I think um, that, that would surprise me a little bit. Um, just, just just given the fact that they have only so many, got, got so many resources and have so many other needs. Like yeah. I think when you when you need to really, you know, they need to draft offensive lines. Unless they go out and spend big money in free agency at, at loads of positions yeah. that, you know, they need offensive linesmen, they need depth at receiver, they need a tight end, they need an interior pass rush, they probably need some depth at defensive end, they need cornerback options, they need another safety. Yeah, they, like, we you, need so much. When you've got eight draft picks and all those needs, it's hard to say, right, we're going to spend two picks on developmental linebackers and they're going to sit well, both of them for a year. Well, um, you know, they kind of did that last year, but they had to play one of them. They did that, you know, with drafting um, Troy Pride in the fourth and then coming back in the seventh and getting Stanley Thomas Robinson. Thomas um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, like, that's what I'm saying. You know, like, usually when you get around to to the 200s in terms of the picks and you're in the seventh round, you know, if you have a guy like, you know, Neiman or, or Bernard, I mean, I doubt if he sticks yeah, around that long. Yeah, I know, but, goes in the fourth or fifth. But there's another guy, you know, when we were talking about these guys that I remember um, kind of following as the season went along, 
And then specifically in the senior bowl, I watched him a lot and I like his attitude and I like his um, his leadership abilities. I don't know how he's going to pan out to be a, a player, but a linebacker that I'm interested in is um, KJ Britt, you know, kind of in this category. So, I mean, what can you tell us about KJ Britt if you've watched him at all? Yeah, I have. I, I, I think he's a guy who will be a passable NFL. Like, he, he's, he's fine. Like, I don't think yeah. he's... Like if he's starting, you're probably going to look to replace him. But yeah. but you know, you know, Adarius Taylor is a guy who you know has like I think he started maybe one or two seasons in Tampa Bay, but has basically been like a a passable depth piece. Um, yeah. You know, you know, a, a, a good depth player, but not a guy you ideally want to start. Probably has some limitations in coverage. You know, has some some flaws as a run defender, but not any sort of catastrophic ones. It's probably a guy who gets taken mid-day three is someone's number three or number four linebacker, um, maybe yeah. ends up starting somewhere down. You know, I think if we're honest, like if you look at the guys the Panthers have developed, AJ Klein has, has turned from a depth piece into a, like a, a perfectly decent starting linebacker. I yeah. think David Mayo probably didn't quite get to that level. Like I, I think right. he's more of like the David Mayo type guy where it's like he can start, the sky won't fall, but you probably wouldn't draft him to start. Um, so he's probably more a guy that you have as a long-term depth piece type type yeah. player. So I mean, so basically, like you said, mid to late day three, you know, type yeah. guy. Yeah, I mean, I, he just you know he flashed. You know, they they play in a in a really good defensive scheme down there in, in Auburn, and you know him being the middle linebacker, you see him flash through, you know, make good plays, and you know he's and he has a lot of energy. So I, I like guys like that. You know, I like dogs, and um, KJ Britt is like a dog type guy. I don't know if he necessarily fits the Panthers, but he was a guy that you know that caught my attention as the season went on so um but he was the only guy that i could think of money rice was another guy that i I didn't see a lot of monty rice's i have basically him and brit i have basically the same grade on them where it's like they are again probably would have been better more more valuable players at least um a decade ago you know they're kind of that sort of you know good perfectly good run defenders fine in coverage nothing special um maybe would have been starters a decade ago but are probably backups now um SEC type linebackers, where you know, you know, you're not dropping into deep thirds very often, or, or trying to sort of you know play much Tampa two. You're kind of just playing underneath zone or a bit of mat. You you're either following and running back to the flat, or you're sort of dropping into a zone over the middle, and yeah. and that's kind of your coverage game kind of thing. See, man, I'm gonna have to catch up, you know, because I fall in love with these old school guys so much. You know, I, I need to catch up to the modern NFL and. <laughs> But it's also worth noting that like a lot of colleges play more, you know, obviously some don't, some play some really fun, funky stuff, but a lot of particularly SEC colleges, a lot of them play relatively old fashioned defenses, at least in terms of like how they use certain positions, just because, you know, not everyone can recruit an NFL linebacker. You know, like the 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 yeah. the, the six two, two thirty linebacker who can run all over the field is quite hard to recruit. Yes. Um so, like, it, it, a lot of college defenses pl- look more old-fashioned in that regard. Like, I think, you know, if I look at the guys towards the bottom of my board, it, you know, where at the top of my board is, like, a lot of 225, 230s. The bottom yeah. of my board is a lot of 245, 250, 240 kind of things. Where, where you know, right. not players who were awful, but just guys, you know, you know, KJ Britt is 243, Monty Rice is 235. And that's not huge, but given that neither of them are the tallest guys either, you know, that, that they're, they are more old-fashioned. They were like six foot six one, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, and yeah. you know two, six foot two, you know, yeah. Uh, well, I've got the measurements here. Yeah, KJ Britt six foot two forty three. That is pretty big. 
um, right. to rise 61235. And that's yeah. fine. It's not, you know, you're wrong. That's not like you're too big to play linebacker in the NFL kind of thing. But that's that's more that's more the prototype of the of the you know, yeah, it's not the end of the world. But you know, whereas Michael Parsons is 245, but he's 6'3. You know, Chance Durant is 6'2, 225. Cameron Grown, 6'1, 236, which to be fair, is pretty big, but he does not look, I don't think he looks that big on tape. Um and you know, uh, obviously Zayvon Collins is a bit of an outlier in that regard, but Jabril Cox, 6'4, 230, 236. Jabril Cox, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, Dylan Moses, 6'3, 240. They're, you know, they're, they're not, you know, it's not worlds different, but the, the linebackers have got longer and and narrower, shall we say. That is no longer the, the A gap thumper that it was 15 years ago. You know, it's crazy because the one thing I never really, Notice with Luke or appreciate until I saw him in person was how big he was, like in terms of like tall, like you know, yeah, he's like 6'3, right? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Yeah, no, he, he's, yeah, so he's, I think he's like 6'3, like like 235 or so. Like he was a, a big 6'3, like, 238. Yeah, so like he was like a big, long, tall dude. And um, and so yeah, you know, Luke was kind of the bridge between the, the old and the new. I yeah. see. I, I would say he was more just the perfect embodiment of the new. Like he was the ultimate. He was the ultimate of the new. The but ultimate. New. Yeah, I can he, accept that. I can accept that. Yeah. Whereas Ray Lewis was six one two forty. Now let me ask you a question. You know, given you know, like we have the luxury, we have the luxury of watching basically the prototypical linebacker in Carolina um, for almost a decade. He's gone now. You know, we we we're not necessarily looking to to replace him because it's almost impossible. But when you look around the NFL now, who is your, the best NFL linebacker now, given what we've discussed today? Like who would be your guy? I think Fred Warner is probably certainly up there. I mean, don't wrong. I, 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 you know, I ultimately, I, I watch more Panthers football than I watch of anybody else. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't claim to have sort of like a, a proper official ranking kind of thing, but um yeah, I think I think guys like that, Levante David has been very has been very good and very underrated for a very long time. Yeah. Um yeah, he he has been a really, really good linebacker. I, I think again it still depends on your scheme. Like, you know, yeah. if, if you you know, Dante Hightower is a really good fit in what New England do. Um wouldn't fit yeah. in Carolina at all. Right. Uh but yeah, no, I think that kind of that that guy who has the range and uh the ball skills and is still solid as a run defender, I think that's the that's where the NFL is going. Um, and, and that's interesting because, you know, Fred Warner, you mentioned him, you know, it's, it's kind of like the first name that popped to your mind. He, he, that's who I think about. I think about him. I think about uh, Darius Leonard from the yeah. Colts. Yeah. Um, you know, fitting yeah. that mold. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the cool thing about, I know, I know at least for Fred Warner, you know, was that he was a third round pick. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, you can't find guys. I think he was third. I'm not sure. He could have been second, you know, but I think he was third. Have a quick search. He was no, he was third, 73rd rule. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you yeah. know, you can you can find value, you know, there if you scout well and, and you know, you know, who what a guy can do, you know, based on what your scheme is like, you can really find a great talent in the third, you know, in the third round on day two. Um, but you know. You know, they're rare. And so I hope that the Panthers, you know, can get lucky like that because you need a little bit of luck, you know, for them to turn out that well. And, um, and, yeah, you know, no, and there's some guys here who could 
uh, obviously, you know, turned out to be that guy. I think when I when I look at a guy like Fred um, Fred Warner, and I look at the the list of guys we talked about today in terms of being able to maybe get him on day two, then I think Chas Surratt was a guy that kind of stands out to me as potentially yeah. that type of dude. Uh, yeah, again, I don't think the expectation it shouldn't be Luke Kuechly, but it shouldn't be Fred Warner either. Like, I, you know, right. like being arguably the best linebacker in football should not be the standard for your third <laughs> round pick. Um, but I but, wanted though, Vincent, I wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I and wanted. I think if they if they could draft another Tom Brady in the sixth round, that would be great as well. But I know, it, it, I want that too. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but it, it's I think I think it's about not every player has to become a superstar or an all pro. It's about finding good quality like starting caliber players deep in pieces the of the puzzle yeah pieces yeah precisely the puzzle. yeah yeah and, and I, I, I mean I'm, ultimately that's how i think you know i i really think you know that all 11 you know on you know any phase of the uh, of the football game you know it's just a really good piece of the puzzle and you know you, you're gonna definitely need a star or two or three you know yeah. to, to push you over the top uh, but you kind of let that play out naturally you know you're looking for a good guys who fit what you do very well and you know the cream always rises to the top and and uh, hopefully you know we can find you know a guy two or three or four or five or six to seven or eight like that you know in the 2021 yeah. NFL draft I pray that we I, I pray that we keep our draft picks somehow um to be eight, to, you know, eight, to eight high quality starters players. would be quite nice yeah I know I just I just want eight high quality starters man that's not too much for <laughs> to ask for you know and so um I, I want that um, I want us to keep as many picks as possible. You know, you know, I won't get into the, the to the the QB situation from Houston to 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 um, Charlotte um, this week. You know, but you know, there's still looming news out there that suggests that you know we could still trade away a bevy yeah. of picks. You know, to get a quarterback and and so having these discussions right now, you know, it they it's exciting, but I'm also very anxious um, that. <laughs> you know, that we won't have as many to pick from. And so then it makes every pick, you know, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's more consequential. Whereas where, where like right now, going into the, the, the draft, like the Panthers need to do well in the first few rounds, but whoever you draft in the fifth or sixth round, if they, if they turn out good, it's a bonus. Whereas right. if right, you right, trade right. away your first and second round picks, you need to get contributors in the fourth and fifth round. Like you need to find starters. Like consi- you have to. And, and, and consistently, like particularly if you lose your first round pick for the next three or four years, you know, if, if you, know. You're, you're thinking like we need to consistently find starting kind of a players in the fourth or fifth round, and like you can do that, you just have to either be incredibly good or very very lucky. It's, it's so much pressure to do it, you know. After that, so like that's why I'm bracing for, you know, that type of trade, you know, because then it puts so much pressure on on Scott Federer, on Matt Rule, you know, to hit on day two and day three for the next three or four years. Yeah, and, how how much do you back yourself basically? Like, yeah, yeah. if if and, you back yourself to find, to, I I think the one thing I would say is this coaching staff really seems to back their ability to to develop players. Yeah, um, which I think is good, and given their college background, is somewhat understandable. And they have definitely that's how they've built their teams in the past because they haven't had loads of five star recruits. Yes, but yeah, in the NFL level, but it's different at the NFL level yeah, though. It, like, it's, Develop, uh, developing developing 23 24 25 year olds is hard it is really yeah. hard and, and like and the it, margin of error is there's so much so 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 much less than it was in yeah. college you know? and, and and you and you yeah precisely because whereas whereas in college you have 20 was it 25 scholarships you get a year per per yeah, um, something like that yeah. yeah if if five of them turn up to be stars and you have you know and five of them turn up to be good starters 
then you have like a a, a national championship caliber squad. You can like right. fifteen of them can be rubbish. Like you can completely fail to develop fifteen of the twenty five guys you get. Whereas right. whereas in the NFL you get like seven picks a year. So yeah. if 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 you miss on like half of them, you're building a squad on like three guys a year, and you know that's not enough. Like unless you're going to spend big in free agency and get consistent deals there, like you know you even if you don't find superstars with every pick, you know, roughly, if, if you draft well, roughly half of your roster will be people on rookie contracts. Yes. If not slightly more than that. And, right. and, it, and if you're missing, you know, you, you, a 50-50 success rate that is really good in college is suddenly not great if that's, you know, a quarter of your roster you're just missing on, basically. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think this this coaching staff will trust everybody to develop players, but that's... Um, it's much harder in the NFL than it is in college. Just, 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 just because guys are older, are more set in their ways, and you don't get as many swings. You, you right. don't get, you know, you UDFA's absolutely go flat. Sign twenty UDFA's. Just take your chances. Just, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly support the idea of just signing as many UDFA's as you can feasibly put on the ninety roster. And trying roster. to find gems in the in the if four of them yeah. make your active roster. You know, if you get one Joseph Charlton, a Sam Franklin, a Miles Hartsfield, and. Uh, I don't know, a Rodney Smith. Great. Rodney wonderful. Smith, yeah. Wonderful. That, yeah. you know, they might even be the four best players, but you've got high quality punter and you've got three depth pieces. Great. That's you you've actually got four of your fifty-three for no investment of any note. That's pretty Great. good. Yeah. You know, Joey Slime might not be anything beyond average as an NFL kicker, but you've got an average NFL starter for nothing, basically. You know, these these are these are, you know, Philly Brown, you know, not everyone has to be Andrew Norwell. If you just get like competent NFL players as UDFAs. Great, that's a win, but yeah. but you can't you you have to you can't afford to just swing from the heels with every draft pick because you know whereas if you've got twenty five guys the averages start working out with seven picks you can quite easily end up with nobody who's able to contribute if you don't get it right. No, that's 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 correct. You know, so it's it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm still bracing myself. You know, like we're we're entering you know the last week of. The off season before the new season starts and the new official season starts and and you know free agency decisions will be made next week you know that's going to inform us of what the draft may look like and so um but the cool part is that we are a week closer to finding out more and yeah. i'm interested to see what happens i'm eager to to have the next episode you know the next position group you know i think we'll be a little bit more informed by that time but then yeah. the week after that would be even more so um so anyway, I mean, I think this was a good overview of all of the linebacker prospects. You know, it, I learned a lot in this process and there were some things that I've been hesitant to adapt to in terms of what the position is evolving to. Um, but I think I have a better mindset going forward. And just to recap that is that you're really good if you can get two Thomas Davises. Oh, yeah, yeah, you are. And, and so that's 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 something that I'm going to carry forward, you know, with me and how I think about the linebacker position in Carolina going forward. And then, you know, on that note, again, big salute to Greg Olson and Thomas Davis mm-hmm. on their um, pending um, day one contract and retirement um, as Panthers on Thursday March 11th. Um, that's going to be a big day for Panthers fans, and and um, and and hopefully it's um, a really big step towards you know healing a lot of the you know, things that were wounded last year with uh, fans. And so I'm looking forward you know to to March 11th and onwards. So um, um, before we go, um, just want to remind listeners out there that you can 
find me at Panthers Culture. Um, on Twitter, you can find Vincent at B. Richardson, four, 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 four. Yeah, I finally, I finally learned it. I'm at the, <laughs> I almost got to commit it. You know, so uh, at B. Richardson, four, four, four. Again, I'm at Panthers Culture. Um, you can find this podcast. If you're listening, you already found it. But we are on Spotify and we are on iTunes. It's Scouting the Culture. It's been a pleasure. You all enjoy it. Peace. Goodbye.